Thank you. My name's Ozade, I'm an alcoholic. Hi. I love the laughter in Alcoholics Anonymous. I love Lynn that was giving out chips laughing. I love laughing with Lulu. And page 132 in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says, we insist on enjoying life. We do. Haven't we suffered enough? Right? So I love the laughter. So many newcomers, welcome. Stay. And I'm going to tell you why you should stay. Not should. I'm going to share why you should stay. Okay, you should stay. <laughs> you should stay because what is here, you're not going to see right away. It is this warm, loving, shift, change kind of atmosphere that you see others get while you're getting it yourself. And you cannot miss that. This is, there is nothing, there is nothing like Alcoholics Anonymous out in the world. This is the safety zone. This is where the love is. This is where you get raised, supported, picked up when you fall, hugged when you cry, you know, high five when success, and love when you come back. Okay? So that's why newcomers, you should stay. Okay. So. Um, December 20th, 2001, I celebrated 18 years. Woo! Do you know why this is so cool? Because I've been with you longer than I was out. I, I started a drink and drug at age 14, 15, and I got sober at 30. And I'm 49. And I just took 18 years. So I've been with you three years more than I was out. And to me, that's pretty cool, especially when I hit 15 years. So. My story is um, that 1978, the revolution with Iran was happening, and my beautiful father, give, let's give my father a hand. <laughs> this, go this gorgeous man is 88 years old. Yes, he is. And he and my mom decided that the country was going to shit and freedom was slowly getting taken from us and he decided that he was going to bring us to the United States. And so, long behold, my mom and my brother and I came to the United States when I was seven years old, then my father sold the business and came back. During the Shaw Revolution, there was um, a lot of chaos. I don't know if any of you guys remember that. You might be too young or you've heard of it. Read it. Read about it. It's pretty interesting. So when we moved here, I remember, <laughs> this is serious. My, we got here Friday. My mom put me in school Monday. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember looking at all the girls going, oh my God, blonde hair, blue eyes. That's so pretty. But that's not me. I was already feeling different. And then kids, as you know how cruel they can be, so I was already Khomeini's daughter, girlfriend, mistress, and you know, you know, I felt so inadequate and so um, different and so alone. And it talks about that in our literature, how we never felt a part of. I thought it was because of that, but later I found out it's because I have this spiritual malady in me. So anyways, um, I was like, how do I become American? Well, I started drinking and I became American. 
drunk. I'm not even kidding. I drank with a girlfriend named Venus. She <laughs> she had a mother that would smoke. I could smoke pot with. We drank, passed out, woke up the next morning in throw up in front of her house, not inside her house, in front of her house. And I thought, I got to do this again. This is so much fun because here's what it did for me. It took away the inadequacy. It took away the fear. It took away the dark hair and the dark eyes. It took away the, the shame that I had somehow you know, carried with me because of the, the, the Iranian uh, country that I came from. It took away everything. And it gave me, oh my gosh, power. It gave me prestige. It gave me confidence. It gave me a warmth. It gave me, you know, conversationally, I was just so, like, advanced and just, why would I stop that? Why would anybody? It worked, and it worked really, really good. Um, you know, I drank throughout my high school years. I used to drink a lot of Robitussin. <laughs> and I never had a sore throat. I drank, I, <laughs> I drink Robitussin at seven in the morning and go sit in English class. I'd steal from dad's whiskey and go sit in class. And I was already drinking alcoholically in high school. Anyway, I met these two girls and they were like, do you want to lose five pounds in a day? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, you know, the meth lifestyle started in high school and I would ride my bike to their house. And, you know, I know our traditions say we are alcoholics here. Yes, we are. And I drank alcoholically. And I, however, our big book also has stories about the addict and the alcoholic and how Bill took sedatives. And so we relate, right? I am an alcoholic. So for any of those that are like about to get me after the door and say, we are Alcoholics Anonymous and we only talk about alcohol. Yes, we do. I agree. And you're right. <laughs> but I'm still going to share. <laughs> so anyways, um, I'm riding my bike to their house at four in the morning before high school and doing their makeup so I could get free drugs and then drinking Robitussin to class. You didn't know this, huh, Dad? You didn't, did you know it? <laughs> You know what's really funny? Those two girls' dad, my father's a psychologist, those two girls' dad would go see my dad as, as a therapy session, so they would call me and go, dad has an appointment, cool, so we knew where both of our dads would be, so then, <laughs> so we would go and get shit-faced because we knew where our dads would be, and um, <laughs> And you know what? I, we, I saw him in Alcoholics Anonymous about seven years ago, and he passed of, I think, old age, but he died sober. Remember Ralph, Dad? So anyways, um, it got really bad and ugly for me, you guys, fast. I mean, I'm talking, it was a nosedive in an empty pool quick. It got ugly fast. I was I, in and out of jail. My poor father here, my poor father here saw... Saw me get taken away at court. Remember, we went to court, and they were just like, we're taking her. They handcuffed me, took me. He came and picked me up from another time, doing time in jail. It was bad. In-house arrest, in and out of jail, create domestic violence, the men, the streets, all of it, the insanity. But I want to tell you that if you're sitting here in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, you don't have to have that lifestyle to be an alcoholic. Our big book says, in the doctor's opinion, we suffer from a mental obsession and allergy of the body. You could be a 
stay-at-home mom, a trophy wife, not have any jails, not have any institutions, not have any of the crazies or drugs, and be an alcoholic. So you don't have to relate to the, to the destruction of my story, okay? So please know that, because that's the key. The, so the big book says... Simply, it says that um, if, you have, if you're drinking too much, something like that, you may be an alcoholic and we have a spiritual solution. So it doesn't have to be, well, I, because our head is going to go, well, I didn't, you know, drink Robitussin and I didn't do a lot of drugs. So maybe I'm not an alcoholic, but really, really think about when you drink, does the dam open and you can't stop, right? Because that's how it was for me. It got really ugly. It got really bad. Um... You know, driving over here with my sweetheart, my husband, he and I were driving here and I looked over and there was a Chevron gas station and I remember going in that Chevron gas station to clean up. And I mean like shower. I mean, it got so bad for me on the streets. And I chose homelessness because I, wa- I, I chose that lifestyle. See, I believe that not only was I addicted and an alcoholic, but that lifestyle had become me. I couldn't shake that mask off. I couldn't get rid of it. I had become this animal that lived on the streets and robbed and stole and did all these crazy things to get high because I wanted the drugs and I wasn't ready to give it up. I remember dad around age 30, right before I turned 30, he goes, Azadeh, I love you. And if you don't change your life now, you never will. And for some reason that stuck with me, you remember? And it's so cool to have my dad here because um, I think I've made it right. I've changed. And it's so cool that he was there in those times and now he's here today. Um, So my dad got me into Yellowstone. They wouldn't let me sleep. They just would not let me sleep. So they kicked me out and I went back out on the streets for a little while. And then um, it got really bad. Um, My supposedly boyfriend broke a beer bottle in my face and um, has been hitting me and I just was like I just can't do this I just can't do this and um, I went to a place called Casa del Cerro in San Clemente it's um, it means house on the hill and they took me in for about five days and I, I slept and I ate and I said I'm out I'm not, I'm not ready for what you guys are doing here. I'm out. And um, it got really bad, demoralized, confused, couldn't understand why I can't stop myself from, from like a fast train. Why can't I stop killing myself? I, do, I couldn't understand that. And the more I try to figure that out, the more demoralized I got. And so... Anyway, one day in a hotel room with that same guy, I just, he was messing with my head, he was stealing my clothes, he was doing all kinds of crazy things, and, I, and that's when we had pay phones, um, and I walked over the pay phone and I called Casa del Cerro, and the lady there, Cheryl, she answered the phone, and she goes, come home, sweetheart, just come home, and I was like, Wow. I bolted after you let me stay there for five days. I call you. You know what I was probably up to. And you said, come home. Okay. I went. I've been sober since. Now, 
What's happened? They introduced me to Alcoholics Anonymous. They had a format back then that was very much big book style. Once you got 21 days, you had to come back to detox and start helping other people. You, there wasn't, you know, I work, I work in recovery now, and it wasn't like it is now. It was so different. We, we ate off of food stamps. We didn't have insurance involved. We had chores. We read the big book. We had to find our own ride to meeting, which I'm so grateful for because it created such a foundation in me. Um, so I spent 90 days there. And I remember at 87 days they're going, I don't want to leave. Please let me stay a little longer. I don't want to go back to that life because that life outside those, that place, Casa del Cerro, meant for me danger and fear because I didn't trust myself. Because there's so many times that I swore up and down, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drug, and I would. I remember one time, Dad, I, I gave my keys to my dad. He locked me in the house. We, we put a thing on, uh, what are those, lo those locks that we had back then? Yeah. A club on my car. And in about half an hour, so he locked me in the house, right? After about a half hour, I, I started ramsacking the house, looking for booze, looking for money, looking for the keys, and then I just crowbarred that garage door open and I crawled out of the bottom and went got dope. I was not to be trusted. I couldn't. My willpower was like boop. it was nothing. It had nothing. It was nothing. I couldn't. So to live in that body and think why can't I stop myself from something that is destroying me and my family? Why? I had no idea that I was an untreated alcoholic. I had no idea that I had the obsession of the mind and analogy of the body. I had no idea that it had consumed me. It had become my master, like Bill talks about in the big book. So. The structure at Casa del Cerro helped a lot. I, I was at meetings every single day. I was with a sponsor. I mean, literally, when I left Casa del Cerro, the house mom wrote, okay, Azadeh, you get up at 8 o'clock, you make bed. 8.15, you have coffee. 8.20, you pray and meditate. Then you have, I mean, all the way down to night, because I didn't know how to live. I had no idea. Like... All I ever did was run and gun and steal and go to hotel rooms and smoke dope and drink and just live like an animal. The last three, four years, I was all by myself. And I used to pray to God, please take me to prison. Please, I want prison. I want prison, please. Because maybe they'll stop me from using. Because I, I couldn't stop myself. So... Anyways, um, anyway, I left the casa, so she wrote that, and bless her, her name's Sharon, and she died, um, they, she was my house mom, and she died literally two days after I turned one day, one year sober, um, but I'll never forget her, because she was such a catalyst in my recovery. Anyway, I have jumped in this thing. I never had a problem with Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I'm the fortunate one because I love the people. I love the meetings. I love the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. In fact, I have traveled five other 12-step programs to work the 12 steps in their system because I just want more, more, more. When, you have a, when I have a spiritual awakening, it's kind of like the same buzz that I had out there. I want more. I want more. It is my love. It is absolutely my love. When the world threw me away, you took me in, gave me a hug. I remember my first Christmas, I got a rock that said hope, not a rock, you know, a rock. <laughs> and a pack of Marlboro Reds. And I, thankfully, I do not smoke. I haven't smoked for like 14 years because I love my body. I don't want to put that shit in my body. In case, I mean, if you smoke, that's okay. But I don't smoke. <laughs> 
but that's how much we grow. Not that I'm better, just because God has changed me. You know, in our big book, it talks about what a spiritual awakening look like. It's not, I wish it was, you know, um, this big profound thing. Actually, it has been a profound thing because for me, I have had many and multiple and big and small and when I seek them and sometimes when I work for them and sometimes I don't, they just come. And the big book talks about how when you have a, a shift in your mind and your emotions, I think it's page 23 in the big book. And you know what? Before I go any further, if any of you are resistant to the big book, please set aside your prejudice and read it. That book is a spiritual masterpiece that I am in all the time. Ask my husband. Like, we'll have a situation. I'll go run and get the big book, and I'll go come. And it's cool because my husband, because my husband's in Al-Anon, so we, so we share the 12 steps. And, um, so, and then he'll be like, oh, well, then let's look at it. And then we're both like, whoa, whoa. And I'm like, I'm the speaker. He's like, no, I'm the speaker. <laughs> we just have so much fun. Um, but anyway, back to the big book. If you have never read the first 164 pages, I invite you, I, I, I beg you to read it from the beginning to the end of at least the 164 and really listen and pay attention with an open mind. That book and a sponsor in God is what have changed me into the woman I used to drink and use over. I mean, I talked to Kent the other day. How are you? Great. How are you? Great. I have nothing to complain about. Nothing. Nothing. Um, so anyway, Alcoholics Anonymous, um, the women in Alcoholics Anonymous have literally raised me. They have. And how? Did they pull me aside and tell me what to do? No. It was in the meetings. I watched your demeanor. I watched how you sat. I watched how you talked to others. I watched how you were around men. I watched how you were when you were sad, how you reacted. I watched. I observed. I learned. It was transformable. This is not something that can happen anywhere else. We're talking about a woman that was in and out of jail, couldn't remember if she had a warrant or did the time for the warrant, getting beat up on the streets. On a lot of meth and pills and alcohol, whatever, and maybe eating every four or five days, if that, and looking to how am I going to get from you, period. I, I'm not giving you anything. I'm looking to what I'm going to get from you. And those things have changed. And it hasn't been anything that I actually done, like a form, the only formula I can think of is the 12 steps. And, um, and I want to share about what the 12 steps look like for me in my, in my mind. So I have been fortunate to have worked them so much that they are in my head all the time, all the time. So when I am disturbed, I know to pause when agitated, doubtful, look at where am I powerless? Is the insanity starting to get um, um, entertained again? And I don't mean insanity just to drink. I'm talking about the insanity that takes us out, bitterness, anger, entitlement, expectations, hurt feelings, pride, ego. I'm talking about that kind of insanity. The insanity that we go, they didn't do it right. I was supposed to have this. That guy cut me off. He hit my car. Things that we may not have a part of. I do not have the luxury to hold any resentments because I'm going to tell you something. My brother passed. January 11th, 2018, of this disease, okay? I was so pissed 
about it because he had two years sober. I was so pissed. I wanted to go look for his sponsor. I wanted to talk to his sponsor. What was he not doing right? Was he talking to him about the big book? Was he working the steps with him? This is what death and grief will do to you. It will. I don't know if you've lost anybody. But listen, I, I'm, I have a great marriage, I have a great life, I have a great career, I, I graduated with a degree. I mean, I've done some really cool shit. But when the, when the death hit, bam, all of it went down. The anger and the bitterness came back and it started to eat me, my dad knows. And so does my husband, the, the most. The anger and the hate and the bitterness and the grief, I didn't know what to do with it. I almost drank at 16 years sober. I was in my room at two in the morning with the pillow in my face screaming for God to take the obsession back because I had sat in hate too long. I didn't take care of the resentment like you taught me. I didn't remember in the big book it says resentment's number one offender. I was an entitlement. I was an expectation. I wanted him back and I wanted someone to pay. You guys hearing me? This is the real shit. 16 years sober. So sorry if you have 30, 40, 50 years. Time doesn't mean shit if you are not taking care of the spiritual malady. And that is what we need to look at. When we get sober, it's out of our bodies in what? 20, 30 days. Now what? We've got to have a new way of thinking, a new way of life. And I don't care how long I've been sober. I need to deal with that spiritual malady that comes with... I deserve that promotion. Doesn't see how, how hard I worked? I'm not going to that meeting again. I've heard all those bitches every fucking night. <laughs> right? Right? I'm getting paid 14 bucks an hour. This is bullshit. <laughs> That's how it starts. I promise you, I lived it. Ask my husband. No, don't. <laughs> he'll, he'll just detach as, as the Grateful Al-Anon member. <laughs> He's my best friend. I married my best friend. Very fortunate. Very fortunate. Um, so, if you have any... Oh, let me go back. So, my brother. So, today's been a very emotional day for me. Very emotional. I woke up, asked my husband. No, don't. <laughs> I woke up crying often. We went to church. I had a moment with what I was hearing. Then I heard about Kobe Bryant. Now... Kobe Bryant's not my idol, but pretty close. I love basketball and I love Lakers. The reason I got so wounded was because the connection I had with my brother was through Kobe Bryant, Lakers, and my dad. Me, my dad, and my brother, and the Lakers. Kobe Bryant brought his talent into our family. That is how we connected. And when I first got sober, I got a get well waitressing job at Coco's, and I met him twice in one week and served him food. And then when I got sober, my first sponsor started taking me to games, and she bought me a plaque. And then my other sponsor, we were, I mean, it was like a big thing in my life. So when I found out today he died, I felt the grief of my brother all over again. So I was in tears, in a fetal position, with my husband going, I don't want to go share tonight. I want to stay home and cry on your shoulder and watch a movie and just, you know. See, in the AA 12 and 12, it talks about character building. I want that. I want that. I want that more than anything else because I didn't have any character here. I want to come here and share with you my story if I can touch one or two or three then me and God did the job. And guess what? I will be able to enjoy the joys of doing what I said I would do but today was a very emotional day for me. 
I felt the grief of my brother, the whole Kobe thing, and then just thinking about when I first got sober with the whole Kobe. Just like, so in other words, I don't know the guy. Right? I'm horribly sorry for his family, horribly devastated. He is my favorite athlete, but he was how me and my brother talked, how we connected, how we sat and watched, and with my father, and especially my father, my father and him. So it was like, whoa. Anyway, I'm not saying I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm this, you know, killer. I just, I want the heart of AA and I don't want to ever let it go. And part of that heart is keeping my heart soft. It's staying integrity. It's being in character. And here's the one, you guys, when that spiritual malady hits, I got to take care of it right away. And it is through the 12 steps. It is. I have to go, okay, I'm starting to feel insane again. Who or what am I powerless over? God, restore me to sanity to show me that I can't change people, places, and things. And you know what? I went to different 12-step programs to learn that. <laughs> you know, I did. I had to learn that because I suffered with now people's behavior. Okay, I'm, dr I'm not drunk or getting high, but now I'm suffering because of people's behavior. Now I'm suffering because of, you know, on and on. But really, when I can sit and go on my knees, I am powerless over people, places, and things. Then I can move to step two and go, God, restore me to sanity. Because when I'm in that anger, when, in, when I'm in that resentment, somehow I think I can change them. Somehow I think they're not doing it right. Somehow I think that maybe they didn't understand. Somehow. And then when I turn my will and, and them over the care of God, now what would God have me think in step three? His will. Kindness. Tolerance. Love. Forgiving. I'm not saying I got it down. I'm saying I got to work at it all the time. I do. And that's okay because I have a way out. Um, and what would my actions do? A lot of times, you guys, when I'm in disturbed, whatever it is, I will, I, I, when I start to feel that I'm feeling a little crazy, I will back off and give me and God some time to hear because I don't want to hurt people anymore. I don't want to keep making same mistakes. I want to grow in character. I, that is my aim. Um, so now, what does it look like for me now? It's like it's dealing with that spiritual malady, carrying other women through the 12 steps, working the 12 steps myself, ongoing. Because here's the beautiful thing. I thought that, gosh, is there more to this 12-step thing? But there's, I feel like I want to say with the principles, and this is part of the reason we keep coming back, or I keep coming back, is because because the principles always are deepening. They're going deeper. Like, like if honesty looked like this here, later in life, honesty may look like, am I honoring my truth? Doesn't our coin say, thine own self be true? Sometimes I cancel myself out at the case, at the case of others. Sometimes I lie because I don't want to be vulnerable and let you know how I really feel. So my being honest with myself, so sometimes, so it goes deeper and deeper and deeper for me. Am I back to people pleasing because I want something from that person? Do I want, you know, whatever. So in our AA 12 and 12, it talks about yearly reflection and self-reflection. I do that. I do have about four or five women that I would call sponsor, spiritual counselor. One is not available. I go to the other one. But, there, but the one that I always go to, her name's Julie. I met her when I was at Casa del Cerro on the couch detoxing. She's literally been my sponsor 18 years. We're best friends. But I also have another woman because she lives in Palm Springs. But I do have people when I cannot hear 
or, or I can't turn my own fire off, if you will. I'm on fire, I'm in hate, I'm in angry, I'm in bitterness, I'm in whatever. I can't turn it off. I, I'm, I'm stuck. I'm trying to work this step, trying to work step 10 around it. I'm stuck. Then I will call them. I will call them and ha- have them reason things out. Have them show me a new perspective. And that's what it's really about, is my journey has in Alcoholics Anonymous is constantly finding a different perspective that's going to serve me, you, and God, right? I was listening to Chuck C. last night, and he was saying, um, he was saying, heaven on earth is, a, is, is just another pair of glasses. You know the, the book um, the book that he has, a new pair of glasses, but in his talk last night, he was saying, heaven on earth is another pair of glasses. And those glasses for me have, all, have constantly been the glasses of compassion. Glasses of compassion. Because I work, I do group therapy in recovery homes, in mental in mental health dual diagnosed people and a lot of people are out of line and just all over the place and if I'm not in a good place and they do something then I start to feel like oh you know so I I have to grab those glasses of compassion I gotta have these ways to keep myself spiritually fit otherwise why else am I here I don't think about Robitussin I don't think about meth I don't think about any of that or alcohol I mean I used to steal tequila and go sit in a park by myself I I remember one time looking up going oh my god there's like 15 tequila bottles here my hand my finger has a whole bunch of cuts in it because I like my lime and salt but you know and I have my knife in my purse because I keep you know going in there and not (laughs) covering you know just crazy right by myself because I don't have the cash to go to a bar because I'd rather spend that on dope. Anyway. Anyway, so, so, so I don't think about those things anymore and I haven't lived that life for a long time but I want to walk in a spiritual path because guess what? I feel better about me. And then you pick up on it and you're transmitted and then I get to see God a little bit more. These are the things that, in, in, that keep me coming back to Alcoholics Anonymous. So also because I have friends like Lulu that I've known 18 years. I mean, she came to my wedding. I mean, we go to conventions. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's not friend, that's family, right? You know, so, so many reasons to keep coming back. Um, back to my brother a little bit. I want to say that I have buried quite a few friends in Alcoholics Anonymous. I have. I've gone to funerals. I've watched people. I have watched, um, I have watched people. When you've been around a while, you kind of can start to hear someone's relapse when they're talking to you. When they start going, uh, I don't want to, you know, just you could hear it. And it scares me. It scares me. I sponsored a woman um, that, that during my grief time that was back out drinking and just, just the whole total craziness of it. And I was like, I have to let you go. I have to let you go because you don't want to stop. Like, you don't want to stop doing this. And for me, I'm a sober woman. I am not bringing alcoholism back into my life when, you're work- when I'm working with someone for six months and they're, and they're not taking any direction, any, any suggestion, nothing. I can't keep, you know, I can't do that. I had to let her go. I had to, and that's a hard thing to do sometimes. And our big book tells us, if someone is not willing, go find another prospect. Right, but that's always been such a hard thing because with my brother's death, I don't want to let go. Somehow, I want to save someone else, and it's not my job to save. I have to remember that I need to stay small. 
I need to stay small and sometimes silent so that I can hear. These are practices that that bring me to who I am to show up in the world. You know, um, my morning my morning is definitely prayer and meditation. I am always in the big book in the AA 12 and 12 and other literature, but for some reason that those two books have never never stopped giving me. So I'm in them all the time. Um, I want to share, uh, I read step six the other day and I want to share with you because it hit me and it's like, what? I've been through this book like how many times and this is new again? Okay. But a lot of you that read are into literature will understand that. So in step six, it says, um, when we close our minds, we close the grace of God. But when we, have, when we open our mind, we open to the grace of God. So I have to remember that because Alcoholics Anonymous has taught me to stay open-minded to all things, all things. And, when, and so now when I see my mind start to close, I start to think, well, I'm not going to get the gift. <laughs> I want the gift, <laughs> right? I want it. I, I want the buzz in AA just like I got the buzz out there. And I'll do what I need to do to get it because I want to be on that firing line. I want to be connected. I want to be connected to this God of my understanding. And when I start to move away, away from that, I start to feel depressed. I start to feel sad. I start to feel like I'm not enough. So these practices that I have keep me alive, keep me connected, keep me young, keep me close to this God that can guide me into life. I owe so much to Alcoholics Anonymous. I love, 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 love Alcoholics Anonymous. I never really had a problem with any of it. I, like I said, I had a God even before I came here because I was praying to him to take me to prison, to take me away from this insanity. Um, so, I, so fortunately, I didn't have a problem getting here. I didn't even really have a problem with step four or nine. The, the only thing that I think that has really kicked my butt in Alcoholics Anonymous, I think is that spiritual malady, is that thinking that sobriety is enough, and our book talks about that, to put the liquor is, is enough. But when I'm not addressing the causes and the conditions of my life and my behavior, then I start slipping backwards, and then I slip away from you, and then I slip away from God. And I have done that too many times in sobriety, and it's not comfortable. It's just not comfortable. I want to stay connected. And for me to stay connected, i got to be looking at step six, six, step seven, daily ten, at twelve, all of it, all of it, all the time. If you're thinking about using or drinking, grab one of us. I promise you, if you talk about it, I promise you, you will find relief. The relief you thought you could find in that bottle or in that apartment that you used to go with your friends and die at. You know which apartment I'm talking about. Grab one of us. Talk to us. I promise you that we all have been through it. I mean, I shared with you most of my story. And like Lulu said, there's a lot of, I don't need to go into all that. You get the point. Don't leave here without talking to someone, even if it's like a text in your call in your car or something, because we care. And in fact, in fact, your us helping you is contingent on our well-being. So let us be well. <laughs> let us help you. Thank you so much, you guys, for listening. And happy new year and God bless.
our speaker, Azadeh, again. Awesome. A fellow alcoholic has been asked to come up and read the promises and lead us out in the Lord's Prayer. Jared, alcoholic. Jared. The promises. As God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. After a moment of silence for the alcoholic who is still suffering in and out of these rooms, please join me in the Lord's Prayer.